boundaries are not about controlling the other person. And they're not about always having someone acquiesce to what we want. Being able to talk true, let people know how you feel and what you want. Negotiating to get your own needs met. That is where the healing is in your life. Even if the other person says, no, I can't do it. You are going to gain so much by asking. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, Bettys, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I have a conversation about boundaries with the great Terry Cole. Now, Terry has earned a master's degree in clinical psychotherapy from the New York University. And before doing that, she was a talent agent for actors and supermodels, your typical type a overachiever, zero balance, and no internal peace. Good Lord, I can relate to that. And so she uh, moved away from being this type A overachiever with little to no boundaries to being a boundary boss. And this is what we are discussing today. This is actually the name of her new book. It's called Boundary Boss. And this is going to be really important for the holidays because we're going to be seeing family. I often find that when I see people from my past, there is a tendency or at least a, uh, a serenade to, to retreat to a former version of myself. And so Terry really walks us through how to understand our boundaries, how to understand what they are, what our boundary blueprint is, and how to effectively set them. So we talk about what a boundary boss is, the different categories of boundaries. So we talk about physical boundaries, sexual boundaries, material boundaries, emotional boundaries, mental boundaries, and how those can run from anything from rigid to inflexible to porous. So the different types of boundaries in each of those different verticals. And then we talk about corrupted boundary data. So this is basically our observation of our caregivers, our parents, mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers. Uh, We learn by watching them and we learn how to relate to the world. And that information becomes our baseline for what to believe and what to behave. So we talk about how that may be corrupted based on previous uh, or examples from our caregivers. And we talk about why it's so hard to just say no, uh, but what the consequences are for not saying no. And then we talk about identifying our boundary baseline, 
Codependency. This was incredibly, incredibly uh, fascinating discussion around codependency because they often, with poor boundaries, often comes codependent, begets codependency. Uh, We talk about what she calls an HFC or a high functioning codependent, misfixit, misperfectionism, you know, uh, and of course, perfectionism, of course, is a sanctioned drug in our hyper ambitious money centric society. So we talk about what that might look like um, and why perfectionism rarely gets acknowledged as the deeply debilitating problem that it is. And then we get into defining effective communication and how to create sort of clean agreements with people so that we're setting expectations while not hurting the other person and creating a boundary plan. This is going to be so useful for absolutely anybody, but particularly my ladies who have a very hard time saying no, who have a very hard time advocating for uh, ourselves, and we have potentially some resentment um, around that. Terry really walks the walk uh, as well as talking the talk and has been there, done that, so can really relate to some of my type A Bettys, my boardroom Bettys, as I love to call you, uh, in the most intimate of ways. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Terry Cole. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Welcome to the podcast, Terry. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Why, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I um, I was just mentioning to you in the pre-chat, first came across your name. We have a mutual friend, uh, Danielle uh, Laporte. And I remember, um, you know, when last time I was in British Columbia, where she lives, we were sitting around her dinner table and she's like, do you know who you need to talk to? Terry Cole. And then she went on this <laughs> soliloquy, this like love soliloquy about you and how it's like you've really blossomed and come, you know, you know, coming into your own. And um, as I was mentioning, to you uh, in the pre-chat, Danielle has a a command of the English language that is unparalleled. So she was talking about, you know, I was falling in love with you, you know, at the table. And now here we are talking about your book, The Boundary Boss. So I am so excited to have you here. I love it. She's the best. It's always nice to have friends who are like your PR people, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, so we're going to talk about your book, Boundary Boss. And this is such such an important topic. I would argue that this is up there with regular movement and sleep habits and nutrition, because there's literally no point to doing that if you feel constrained and you can't set boundaries and you're miserable and resentful. Um, yep. And we're going to dive into all of your the body of work that you present in this book. But before, before we do that, um, 
And you talk, well, maybe we're kind of already diving into the book because you talk about your story in the book, but for my audience who is unfamiliar with you, I would Mm -hmm. love for you to outline your, you know, your origin story. How did you come to work Mm -hmm. with boundaries? How does, how did this become a, a focus in your career? And that might be, you know, personal anecdotes that you want to share, professional anecdotes. Mm -hmm. I would love to know, um, love to know where this work, how you came to, to do this work. Well, I think they say, someone said, you know, you, you teach what you most need to learn. And so I was a boundary disaster, like a veritable boundary disaster in my 20s, for sure. And I was unclear that so much of the pain and the conflict in my relationships and inside, because mostly the style of the dysfunctional boundaries I had meant I was overgiving, overdoing, saying yes when I wanted to say no, feeling super obligated, being highly codependent to everyone in the world. So that made me resentful and kind of like a martyr until I really dove into therapy. I didn't realize that those were boundary issues. Once I started getting it together and realizing I could say no, I could do all of this with ease and grace in time. I could do it with kindness and love or a little bit more heat. If there's needed a little bit more heat that I thought setting boundaries, I had all, I believed all the myths about setting boundaries that it meant I was going to have to be mean and rejecting and caustic with people. And you're selfish. If you do that, all the things. And so I went through and I was a talent agent um, negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. That was what I did before I became a therapist. And that, of course, not a hotbed of mental health in entertainment, as you can imagine, and blurred boundaries. I was, you know, the same age as my clients. You, You know, you need to socialize. You're going to openings and events and, you know, um, fashion shows and all this other stuff that it even more highlighted how important boundaries were and where I still struggled. But I've been in therapy since I was 19, I think. And I um, stopped drinking when I was 21. And I say those two things because they actually influenced what happened in the rest of my life profoundly. Therapy and getting just not drinking anymore, just stopping drinking. Because that also, there's a lot of blurred boundaries if you're drinking too much or doing drugs or any other dysfunctional thing. So when I became, I decided to get out of entertainment and open up my own practice, become a therapist. I could not believe the epidemic that it didn't matter who the person was who came in. It was mostly high-functioning, you know, successful women was my practice naturally, basically. But it didn't matter if they were a CEO or a pop star, their pain, I could connect the dots backwards to the same thing. Lack of this all important skill set, where they were agreeing to things they didn't want to do, or they had too rigid boundaries where they were, you know, someone would say something they didn't like, and they would just cut the person off and be like, bye, you're out of my life. Like, so it, it isn't just the way that we think about disordered boundaries with giving too much or them being too malleable, there's also having too rigid boundaries. So anyway, that, that was what lit me up because I saw how much my, my, I started thriving in my life, how much better my relationships were when I had the ability to talk true, as I say, to not let people think 
wrong things about me or not be too embarrassed to say, you know, I really don't like that. Or I would prefer we do this. Uh, you know, most of us, the stuff, it's not just me. It's like we're raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. We're raised and we're praised to be self-abandoning codependents. Yeah. Man, yeah, we could stop the podcast right there. I think if everybody just sort of, if everyone just sort of takes that message, that recognition, that awakening. And I would, I would gather, I would guess that most women, you know, to your point and your clinical um, experience um, will likely reinforce this is that we never have been taught to set boundaries. As you said, we are self-abandoning. It's like, it's, you know, in your book, you say something uh, along the lines of, it's almost like, you know, hoping that one day you can wake up and you can speak Mandarin, you know, you know, just wishing it to be true and wishing to know how to conjugate and wishing how to, you know, know yep. how to use this word in this situation, but not in the, and it just doesn't happen that way. It's a lang, it's a language. It's an acquisition that happens over time in the same way yep. that you might look at a child acquiring the English language or whatever language. Uh, it is a language that we need to practice and learn and flex over time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's nothing to feel bad about. Like there would be a lot of shame, especially with my high functioning clients that they, they were like, what is wrong with me? Well, you know, I, I'm running the world over here in corporate America, yet I can't get it together with love. Why? Mm. Disordered boundaries. But they'd be embarrassed, ashamed. And I'm like, listen, you wouldn't feel bad if nobody taught you how to speak a language that you didn't know the language. So it's getting to the point, boundaries are exactly what you just said, which is that you need someone to teach you step by step, which is exactly why I wrote Boundary Boss, because I didn't want it to just be in my private practice or in where I, where, you know, I, I teach courses on this. I didn't want it to only be for people who had money. I wanted it specifically to be for women all over the world who feel like they're screwed, who feel hopeless in their situation because you don't have to be and that you can learn this no matter who you are. I also did a whole campaign to get it into libraries because maybe you can't even afford a book, but you could, it's free to go to the library and read it. I was, my, my real passion, what feels like my dharma is reaching as many souls as possible to really lessen suffering and increase joy and teaching them how to do it, you know, because it's not like, like I'm not doing it. I'm nobody's guru. My, my thing is here are the tools you can do this. And I'm really more in this book. I'm really, I'm teaching. Yes. But so much of it is back to the reader because your situation, Stephanie, is different than mine. What you saw growing up, your model to behavior, right? And that would bring us to the boundary blueprint, which I know we're going to hit. But it's not like there's one and done when it comes to being fluent in the language of boundaries. It's very personal to you. If you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, if you, you know, all of those things come into play as to what boundaries are right for you, but you're the only one who can determine what that is. Yeah. So let's actually, let's actually hit uh, the boundary blueprint and maybe we can start off with just a, a definition of some of the different types of boundaries. Like I think for many um, people, particularly with the Me Too movement, which you discuss in the book, you know, we can, we can get a handle on physical boundaries 
somewhat, uh, mm-hmm. but I'd like you to expand the definition of uh, the different categories of boundaries that we might be discussing in our in our conversation today. Sure. Well, let's start, if I may, with what are boundaries? Because there's so much bad intel out there about what what they are. I want you to think about them as your own personal rules of engagement, right? These are limits, rules, guidelines that we set in order to let others know what we're comfortable with, what's okay with us, what's not okay with us. So in order to have healthy boundaries, right, you must know yourself, your own preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers because how can we communicate them if we don't know what they are? And knowing them without the ability to communicate them, because you listen, knowing it and saying it are two very different things. So this is just a baseline for us. This is what we're talking about. When I'm talking about boundaries, I'm talking about the listener or the viewer knowing their own preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers, and having the ability to share them when and if you so choose. That's it. We go into the cat. If we go into the categories of boundaries, we have physical boundaries, sexual boundaries, mental, emotional, and material boundaries. So, physical is exactly what you'd think. What is your biggest physical boundary? Is your body, right? This is the big, you know, your skin where you where you end and someone else begins, basically. Um, and this is about physical boundaries. Um, and physical boundary violations could be somebody touching you without you rubbing your shoulders. And maybe you don't like that or you don't want to. Or maybe you're in a country or a culture that will, everyone kisses everyone, you know, on, on the cheek. But maybe that makes you uncomfortable. So maybe your boundary is maybe you prefer to fist bump at this point with COVID or elbow bump or whatever. Yeah. Um, another boundary violation could be, let's say, someone not knocking, but just barging in while you're in the shower or while you're in the bathroom. So those are boundary violations. Sexual boundary violation is anything really that makes you uncomfortable. We have to establish it. We have to tell the person. But touching you in a way you don't like, um, lewd comments are actual or actually sexual boundary violations. Somebody continually commenting about your body. But we have to also say that with a lot of these boundaries, you may feel violated by something. And yet there is a requirement, and I'm not talking about an obvious violation that anyone would feel violated by. I'm talking about Someone saying, wow, you look great. You look like you lost weight, let's say. There's a whole thing that just happened with Jonah Hill publicly asking his followers to stop commenting on his body. You know, he's like, I know you mean well, your heart's in the right place, but it doesn't make me feel good. Please stop. That's it. And there was so much back and forth with people being like, he should be grateful. What's wrong with him? He doesn't want to come. He doesn't like a compliment. You're like, no, it's what women have been saying for all of time. It feels objectifying. It's not yours to comment on. Please don't. Now, someone else may be like, I love it when people comment on my body. Well, that's, that is your right. That is your boundary for yourself. But it doesn't give you a right to comment on the physical bodies of others if it makes them uncomfortable. Right? So part of it is we have to respect other people's boundaries. But we got to be like Jonah Hill and say what they are. 
Because again, it, you're so unique. What, what you wouldn't want someone to do with you physically, like let's say there's a close talker. We've all had this experience of someone just talking too close. Now we will naturally step back from a close talker, right? We'll, we'll naturally move. We're trying to create space. We are, we are trying to show them our boundary. And if Bob from accounting decides that he, he wants to step closer, he might step closer. Then we have to verbally say, hey, can you please step back? Bob, you're too close for my comfort. Simply, neutrally, we don't have to, Bob isn't a monster because he's a close talk to, talker. A lot of times people are clueless. So it's not, it, it's like, I, I don't like to put like this negative vibe, like someone's meaning to do something. If it's something that could go either way, this is why we become the boundary boss. And we, we have the ability to say, hey, I don't like that. Or please, I'd like to make a simple request that you knock on my door or my office before you walk in. Right? You're, can we agree that you will knock before you come in the next time? It, it's that simple and that complicated. You know? Yeah. And, and I think it comes back to what you were saying before, like preferences are going to be unique to the individual, you know, in the same way that you might like a shower and I like a bath, like yeah. neither of them are wrong. They're just preferences that we have. And I think part of holding boundaries for ourselves is also the grace to allow other people to hold boundaries that may be different <laughs> from our own. So you, you know, you, you gave the um, example of a woman saying, I love when people comment on my body and <laughs> when people comment on her body and she loves it, wonderful. But she also has to have the awareness that that might not be the same for the person across from her or other people that she interacts with and allowing the, um, allowing other people to hold different preferences without trying to change them to be her, to be more like her, I think is important. Yep. It is. And I have to say, this is one of the less explored areas of becoming a boundary boss, which is, you know, the way that I put it in the book is accepting when someone else says no to you, especially if you have been a people pleaser, if you have been a codependent if you have spent a long time saying yes, when you want to say no, when someone else flexes their boundary muscles, wow, you could be like, I can, who does Betty think she is? Like what <laughs> of all the crap that I do that I don't want to do? Why does she get to opt out of crap she doesn't want to do? Right. And it, this is also a learning process of not personalizing everything, right? It's so not personal. And I think that even in intimate relationships, even in close relationships, someone's allowed to have a preference that's not a reflection of how they feel about you, right? But when you're codependent, that's, that's hard. It's really hard to see. It feels like everything, in a way, is a reflection of how someone feels about us. I wanted to, because I said before I was, we were going to talk about the categories. Yes. So should I go back and just hit them and then we'll have done with sure. them? Sure. Yeah. You <laughs> talked about physical and sexual, uh, material, yeah. emotional, and mental were the, were the next three. Yeah. So material is just about your stuff, how you keep your stuff, how often you share your stuff. Do you lend money to people? Um, violation, you know, material violation would be someone going into your closet and taking your sweater without asking if that bothered you, if, if you didn't have that agreement with them. Somebody, maybe you keep your car super clean 
and your slobby cousin comes in and leaves their fast food wrappers in your backseat, that would be um, a material boundary violation. You lend someone money and they don't give it back to you when they've agreed, when they said they would. Um, P.S. Just don't lend anyone money ever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just don't do it. Just, so it's just going to go bad. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, no. And hey, I'm not saying don't gift it. If you can afford to lose it, then just gift it. And you don't have to have that because money is never talk about boundaries. My God, never just dollars and cents. So that's the material stuff. Also, how you keep your home and your space. Is there any area of your house that other people can't go? Is your bedroom off limits to your young children or not? Like those are your own boundaries. People had a lot of um, a lot of a lot to say about physical and material boundaries, spatial boundaries during the lockdown. Because suddenly, you know, you spend normally you spend two hours a day with these people and now you're spending 24 hours a day with them. And so I've, I, I actually did a lot of um, episodes of the Cherry Cole show on this exact thing of like, how do you involve kids and kind of make it fun? And we had to delineate, especially if you're in a relatively small space, boundaries like, hi, don't come in. I'm filming. Right. This is a boundary. Please don't step step past it. So that's the, that's the material stuff moving into emotional boundaries. And this is like knowing what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for emotionally. So we were just talking about codependency, codependency, a big part of it is disordered emotional boundaries, because we literally don't know where we end and the other person begins. We, we don't want the other person to make mistakes. So we're in, you know, inserting ourselves into situations and giving unasked for advice or criticism. But if you have healthy emotional boundaries, you don't blame other people for your life, for what's happening, for your life choices, for what's going on. But you also do not feel excessively guilty. Like you don't take on other people's life choices. And when someone, cause some people will try to make you feel guilty, but when you have good emotional boundaries, you really can go, Hey mom, I hear you and I'm sorry that you're in pain, but I'm actually not taking that on. That I love you and I know you're going to figure it out, but I'm actually not going to take that on. It's not, it, that's not mine, what you're saying. That's a choice that you made. And it's learning this type of language where you can stay lovingly connected to your mother, even if she's blaming you for some shit that's not your fault. <laughs> and just not take it on. Rather than we get so mad about the blaming or we get so offended about the comment. Let's just, we're just going to, when you become a boundary boss, you take that energy and you funnel it into being effective, saying what it is that you need to say. And mental boundaries, the last category, are mental boundaries, which is knowing what you think. It's knowing your opinion. It's being able to hold on to your opinion, even if you're with people who don't think the way that you think. You know, one of the disordered um, boundary styles, like I did an archetype quiz that people can actually go to. It's free. It's just called boundaryquiz.com. And if you're someone who's like a chameleon, and that's one of the archetypes, it's hard to hold on to what you think. Like you just sort of take on what other people think, whether it's the music. And I was so like this in my 20s. Did Whatever boyfriend I had, that was the music I was into. It could be rap. It could be country. Like, 
I was morphing myself into what I thought that person wanted me to be because I was young and I didn't yet know who I was. So, but that is a kind of disordered boundary, um, mental boundaries, violations, let's say mental boundary violations. The violation in the emotional is someone trying to make you feel guilty or make you feel bad for the choice that you made. And with mental, it's someone disparaging your beliefs, right? It's someone being like, well, that's stupid. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't get why you think that way or, or putting you down in some way. But there's always ways to, to hold your ground without it becoming an explosive shit show, you know, where I think that people have fear of confrontation, but you can always say, hey, I'd like to make a simple request or please stop judging my thoughts. This is a conversation. I have the right to think what I think. And you trying to beat me into submission is not going to work. So please stop. Sometimes people will stop. Sometimes they won't. But just saying it is the thing. It's not about controlling the other person. It's about having the courage to negotiate for our own needs. That's beautiful. And, I, you know, coming back to the chameleon, as you were talking, I was uh, reminded of a meme of Brad Pitt, where it was like, Brad Pitt looks like every day, you know, every woman he's ever dated sort of looks like her and not to, you know, if Brad Pitt's listening, he's not, but you know, if he was listening, yes. you know, we're not, we're not throwing, you know, shade at him. It's just he has the same haircut, turns blonde when he's dating I don't know, Gwyneth Paltrow and yes, then has long, long, yes. long hair when he's dating Jennifer Aniston, et cetera. So yep. um, that would be it, like a, a real example of a chameleon. Um, yes. But I also love what you're saying around the mental boundary specifically, because we see this so much now in society where, and it has become very politicized, at least online, I see people like, how could you, and with the pandemic, with COVID, it exists, it doesn't exist. Masks, no masks, left and right, lockdowns, no lockdowns. Yeah. And you see um, uh, an intolerance, I would say, um, around opposing opinions. And I've often said sort of jokingly that I'm part of this radical, <laughs> the radical middle, where I actually love to listen to both sides. And mm -hmm. because usually when you do that, there's, there's truth in both. There's, tr you'll find truth and you'll find falsehoods in both. Um, yep. So um, it, it was interesting that you, that you talk about mental boundaries. And I think we need to be very cognizant of how that plays out, in, especially since a lot of our interactions today are online and you have, you know, keyboard, you know, I call them keyboard cowboys who, you know, they just, you know, type, you know, all the things they have no problem typing. They would never say, yeah. you know, in person to you, but the things that ha uh, that are said online in the comment section uh, sometimes are abhorrent. Um, yeah. I always yeah. say that people get cyber balls. That's so true. Yes. Cyber balls. <laughs> like they, yeah. Yeah. You would literally never say that to someone's face. But what we're really talking about is the difference between having a dialogue and having a debate, right? right. Online, right. people just want to crush each other. We just want to win. We just want to crush. That's not what I'm interested as well in listening mm -hmm. to brilliant minds actually have a dialogue where, where the goal is to have a better understanding of what the other person is saying. Like, what are you basing that on? Like, 
trying to understand, which of course in relationships as well, right? If, if you find that you're with someone who's always trying to debate you, you're like, I don't need to win or lose. Like, I want you to understand me. It's not a win or lose, but a lot of relationships are like that. And that is also disordered boundaries. So let's, let's talk about your boundary blueprint. So you, in the book, you masterfully start off with the self and then how we can begin to express ourselves to others and how, um, uh, and some of the action steps that we take. But the first step that you talk about is actually really understanding our own, what you call corrupted boundary data. So, (laughs) um, and this is, uh, and I'd love for you to expand on how, you know, we as children, you know, we observe the way that our parents or our caregivers, our mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, you know, how they deal with conflict, how they deal with, um, you know, scenarios that come up. And that becomes part of our belief system, Mm -hmm. which then of course drives our behavior, like beliefs drive behavior. So if you can understand your belief system around things, this corrupted boundary data, um, Mm -hmm. then we can begin to change it. Like it it makes no sense to, um, to, to ignore this step for all the perfectionists that are like, ah, I just got to tick this off my list. Got to read the book and then I'll be done. No, we have to understand where we come from. So can we, can we talk a little bit about, um, corrupted boundary data, what our boundary blueprint looks like? Sure. All of us grew up in some kind of a family system. And so literally you, in your unconscious mind, you have the paradigms of that system. We observe, right? We have learned behavior. So think about it. Maybe you had a maternal impactor who was a people pleaser. So you learned at a young age that as being raised as a woman, this is how you should be. You should do things for people, give the shirt off your back, but then complain about them or then feel whatever, or be depressed or drink it away. Like we, we watch this. So with boundaries, each family system itself has their own spoken and unspoken agreements around boundaries, around loyalty, around how open that family system will be to the outside world. Some family systems are closed and like nobody comes in and out basically, except the members. Other family systems are more open. Those are those are also boundaries. What was expected of you, and this is not just your family of origin, this is country, culture, um, you know, socioeconomic situation, all of those things impact what we think healthy boundaries are, or the way that we should be in the world. Nobody thinks of them in terms of healthy boundaries, because mostly nobody talks about it. But it's like, we learned, this is what it means to be a good friend a good partner, a good worker, uh, whatever. This is how the world is. So if that information that came down to us through our family system, through the country and culture we live in, um, basically says like it did for most American girls, at least in the last 50 years, I'd say more probably, that, you know, to be good, you got to be nice. That niceness is the virtue that should be the highest goal. The, the most, the biggest insult is if someone perceived you as not being nice, at least where I grew up, that being nice and being, being of service, helping others besides doing well in school and not having sex. Like, okay, so there's a few things that <laughs> there are a few things that were in there, but I also learned that my mother did all the things. So then I grew up to be a woman who did all the things because I thought that that was it. This, each one of you, listening has your own unique 
boundary blueprint. So the beginning part of the book is we do some excavating, as Stephanie was saying, about what is in there, because you can't change it unless you know it. So I, trust me, if there was a way around this step in 25 <laughs> years as a psychotherapist, I definitely would have found it. But there isn't yeah. because there is no one size fits all when it comes to boundaries. I could give you all the reason I didn't just write a book with boundary scripts, which is what everybody wants, is because even if I gave you all the right and perfect words, you would not be able to consistently say them and have them be effective. Because if we did not go into the basement, which I call it, right, which is your unconscious mind, we need to open these dusty boxes to understand why you relate to boundaries specifically the way that you do. So, and then we can look at the obvious ones, like I just said, like, let's say a lot of us had moms who were people pleasers or, you know, the, the ones who were over-functioning and over-giving, and we learned that that was sort of the way to be. But you answer a whole bunch of questions. And in the book, because I didn't want to do a book and a workbook necessarily, and I didn't want people to have to get both, I give you the questions in the back of that chapter so that you can answer like what were boundaries like within your family of origin did you have any privacy were boundaries encouraged or discouraged were they punished you know did you could you close your door or not so then we go back to the categories and look at the in in each category were you allowed to think differently than the group or would there be punishment or would you be mocked or ridiculed if you had a different opinion or was a different opinion encouraged? Think for yourself. Okay, well, let's have a debate. Who knows? Every, every family is different. But when you start answering those questions, you will get a much more clear snapshot of your own boundary blueprint. So imagine that it's in the basement of your mind, your unconscious mind. When we start revealing what that is, when you start writing your answers, you go, oh, I see why. I say yes when I want to say no all the time. My mother did the exact same thing, or my father, or my older sister, or whomever. Like so much of this is learned behavior. And that is corrupted boundary data because what we learned was this is the way you should be. And what you find out as a grown up is that being that way is not going to create a satisfying or heavily successful life. Yeah. And what I think is so important about not just writing scripts, <laughs> not just having 400 pages of scripts, is that we're, <laughs> what, we're what, we're, what you're doing is you're empowering the reader to think for herself. It's sort of the, it's a, you know, I've, I've used this parallel before, but the difference between a general and a soldier, right? The soldier is going to just read the scripts and say them, like it's going to be the execution. But yep. the general is going to be, a, you know, one step up from that and say, okay, what is the situation? How can I adapt to this ever-changing situation? And then modify the script, modify how I need to show up so that I can still be in alignment and still be true to myself, which yep. is which is more important than just having the script. And we're going to get, we're going to talk about scripts. We're going to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, the template for that, but this is such an important step. And I have to, um, I have to sort of highlight, maybe double click on the perfectionists, myself included, uh, here <laughs> with, you know, this perfectionistic tendency to just want to get it all right. And, um, 
it's okay to suck at boundary setting. It's okay to be a beginner. It's okay to not, you know, know how to do it in the beginning in the same way that it was okay for you not to learn how to walk the moment you were born in the same way. It was okay for you not to run a marathon without training for it in the same way. It was okay for you not to squat 200 pounds before you squatted 100 pounds. You know, do you know it's like, it's a muscle that you have to flex and it's a language as we were taught, you know, akin to the language uh, parallel before it's, yeah. you know, you, you acquire more verbiage, you acquire, more ways to, uh, to play with the subset of information that you have. It's so important. It, I would just want to say yes, 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 yes. To all of that. It's so true. I also think that it's important that you realize that as recovering perfectionists, I would say I am as well, that perfectionism, you know, we have this illusion about what it does for us, you know? And so to live a real life, a real life is messy. Real love is messy. Family is messy. Boundaries are messy. Mental health, mental wellness is messy. Mm. So it requires us to just be in acceptance of that. It's, we're going to want to take it back. We're going to start setting boundaries. We're going to feel guilty. And I, and I, I walk you through all of this in the book, like what you can expect, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. No, what to expect when you start really getting boundaries in place that are based on who you are and how you feel. Because a lot of perfectionists and sort of alpha women, I'd say, or, or you know, type A type women, they think that they're good with boundaries because they don't put up with any crap from anybody because they're like, Mm-mm-mm. but what happens? How do they behave when someone betrays them? Oh, cut off. Bye. I'm not talking to you. Done. And you don't even have to be betrayed. You could be cut off if that person doesn't just doesn't like the way that you interact or didn't feel like you had their back or whatever. Right. And again, these are rigid boundaries. So it's not just don't listen to this and go, oh, I would never say yes when I want to say no. I don't have any boundary problems. Trust me, take that boundary quiz and you'll see exactly because there's there's also archetypes for more rigid, which is uh, the loner and the the ice queen and the powerhouse. So it's interesting to see which way you lean from what your answers are. Um, but perfectionism, I 100 percent agree with what you said. Do it crappily. Do it with, you know, sweating, but do it because, again, the, maybe the most important takeaway, I think, of the whole entire book, maybe, or at least one of them, is that boundaries are not about controlling the other person. And they're not about always having someone acquiesce to what we want. Being able to talk true. Let people know how you feel and what you want. Negotiating to get your own needs met. That is where the healing is in your life. Even if the other person says, no, I can't do it. You are going to gain so much by asking. So remember the healing is in the sharing or in the asking. And it's really not a lever of control, healthy boundaries. They're not. And if you're using them as that, that's just another manipulation tactic. It's not a healthy boundary. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. 
Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice. And it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want. And if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. But it's not about them. So, so when we take the pressure off, because in the beginning, I used to think, well, why would I, I'm not going to, tell this person how I feel or what I want, because I know they're not going to do it. I learned it's not about whether they do it or not, that it's my love affair with myself, caring enough about me to tell the truth about my preference or how I feel or what I want or my limit or what I don't want. And then opening up real dialogues, which is exactly what that does, or not if the other person can't, but you will never unless you're in some kind of a horribly abusive situation, which I hope you're not, if, and I'm not talking about being with violent people, right? So all, none of this, none of this boundary stuff applies to boundary um, destroyers, which is a whole chapter in the book about super manipulative, abusive people. Um, but with regular people, this will change your relationship to yourself and that will uplevel your life. You talk about in the book, uh, an, ex an example of this in your own life where you wanted to invite your father to, I believe it was your graduation and you were sort of hemming and hawing and, you know, he ended up saying no anyway. He, I think he said no to the invitation, didn't want to, mm -hmm. you know, travel, but you were so proud of yourself for asking. And, um, I think that it's just what you're saying. It's it's about advocating for yourself, divorcing yourself from the outcome. That's not the point. It's just yes. you know I'm gonna I am important enough to to advocate for myself, and then almost like a stoic, you know, we're just gonna release the attachment to whatever comes after the ask. But it's that I stood up and I said, "Hey, today I'm important enough to say this is what this is what this this vessel this is what this person wants." Yeah, me, but but yes, but here's the thing with that story and with and with talking is that when I was younger and didn't understand the whole process of boundaries, I thought, well, the only point in asking my father to my grad school graduation was him coming to my grad school graduation, and when my therapist was the one who really taught me about that the healing is in the asking, what transpired in that conversation, I said all of these things I never would have said to my father, like loving things, like I can accept that you can't come, but you're my only father. And so of course, mom and my sisters will be there and whatever, but you, our connection matters to me. Right. I never would have said that in my life because I was terrified of him. And he was like, okay. And our relationship absolutely shifted. We started talking once a week after that, he started sending me cards for no reason, which was so weird. Usually he'd be like, I think you need to put money in your IRA. You know what I mean? Like it would never just be like for no reason. I was getting happy spring cards. I was like, wow. So it wasn't just a shift within me and how I felt about myself for having the courage to do it because I was terrified. It was energetically me talking true 
to my father and being vulnerable and saying, you matter, I love you, impacted him too and had this ripple effect. Now, I'm not saying that always happens, but it, it shifts because something changes within you. And it also changes why we advocate for ourselves when it's not about the outcome and it's really about, I will feel better if I tell the truth about what I'm holding on to. Yeah. And then I had the courage to ask. I love that. Yep. It's so, so beautiful. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to maybe touch on and have you expand on a bit is how we can begin to cultivate this relationship with ourselves. So I was saying to you in the pre-chat, you know, so, so much of self-care, it seems like this, this word has become so uh, diluted that it almost, <laughs> it's like candles and massages and bubble baths. Is that what you're talking about when you say relationship with myself? Like, and for sure it can, it can encompass some oh, of those, sure. those things. But what does it mean to begin to, or how, what does it mean and how can we begin to cultivate a relationship um, with ourselves? What, how can we begin to identify what that even looks like, feels mm -hmm. like in practice? Well, let's start from the, my theoretical thought that um, self-love is the only path to any other love worth having in my estimation. Mm. So, and the way that you relate to yourself, how you talk about yourself, how you treat yourself, your level of self-care, that sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. So if you talk badly about yourself outwardly or inwardly, if you work until you, you're dropping, you're so tired, you don't rest, you don't, you don't eat right, you don't take care of yourself, you're worked to death, you will inevitably attract people who agree with your low sense of self-worth. So that's the beginning, is getting honest with yourself. How do I treat myself? So when I talk about self-care and self-love, Yes, maybe it encompasses a tub once in a while, but I'm really talking from a psychological, mental, and emotional place. How do you regard yourself? Do you hold yourself in high esteem? Do you think you are worthy of consideration? The consideration, the kindness, the care of others. Part of why I created the Boundary Boss Bill of Rights is because it is so, and I put it right in the front of the book, is because it is so confusing to, it's so easy to talk ourselves out of it, right? It's so easy to be like, oh, I'm just being dramatic. I'm just, I'm just being extra right now, you know, rather than really looking at what are your rights and responsibilities to yourself, to others, but everything that that we do and all the things you want to create in your life, start with your relationship to yourself. So I would say, do an inventory and get honest about how you treat yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, right? Do you stay in crappy relationships because you're afraid to end a relationship? Do you have friendships that suck where you do all the work and they're sucking you dry endlessly. They call you all the time and talk for two hours about the same bad boyfriend or girlfriend that they've had since you've known them. Do you stay in relationships because I call them historical handcuffs because you've been friends since third grade 
and this person's been living on your couch, but they're an alcoholic, like, where is the consideration for you in your own life? Because I used to definitely be like the, I got it, girl, right? I got it. When the taxi driver wanted to lift my huge bag in the back, I'd be like, no, no, no just stay in the car. I got it. Why, why do I got it? Why am I saying I have it to everyone? Why am I not letting the bagger bag yeah. the grocery? For me, it was the massage therapist where I wanted, I just wanted to like quiet and they're like chatting to me about their life. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll talk. You know? That was where I would, that's where I would. Um, and now I'll say, I, you know, I'm just really I'm so excited for this massage. Like I'm really looking forward to just relaxing and I'll probably fall asleep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I would always say, and I give you these in the book. Um, don't be offended if I don't respond. I'm so tired. I will probably fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Or I would call the place ahead of time and say, hey, make a note. I'm looking for a quiet massage. I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. So if in the beginning, before it was easier for me to do it in real person, I would tell the place because after the last chatty massage therapist who also smelled like cigarettes uh, many years ago, I was like, I just paid to be tortured. Like right? this was absolute torture. Mm -hmm. And I just was, I made a vow never again, Mm -hmm. never again. And then another thing, if that feels threatening to say another thing I did in the beginning, because I would always like put it on myself to make it easier. And I would say, Hey, if I get to talking, tell me to shush, because I really need to rest, but you know, I can talk. That's a good one. That's a good one. Or if they ask you how the pressure is, tell them how the pressure is. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm super specific now, but, but back in the day, I wouldn't, yeah. someone would be hurting me Yeah, and I would not say anything. So, and, and like, why? Because that's a child's fear, right? Think about when we, women who have done so much, can do so much, are so incredibly capable, right? In life. Why would I be worried? about hurting the feelings of some rando massage therapist who there's a very nice way to say, hey, can you lighten up on the pressure? No dissertation on why needed. Same thing when you say no. We don't need to give a dissertation on why we're saying no. You're allowed to just say no. How about you don't effing feel like it? That's a really good reason to not do something. But yet so much of the time we feel so obligated that we want their approval for saying no. It's like, no, it's not necessary. So in the book, I walk you through a process of how do we get better at saying no? Do you want to go through it? Yeah, let's go through it. All right. Well, I think we can start with just stop the Insta yes. That's the most important because now we're going to build space. If you stop the Insta yes, and I give you, um, I give you some scripts for how, and I'll just tell you them now. Like you can say, um, "Oh hey, thanks for thinking of me. I need to get back to you after I talk to my roommate, my partner, my dog, whoever." Um, um, I don't know my schedule right now, so let me look and I'll get back. Right? Re- just give yourself permission to not instantly say yes. You you are not required to do that. And when we do that, so much of the time, we find a way to not do the thing anyway. We just don't do it in a straightforward way. We get a migraine, we get a something. Like it's really hard to make yourself do stuff you really don't wanna do. You'll find a way out. And then people think you're flaky, you know? Um, or we'll go and be bitter. 
feel like Betty owes me. How entitled is Betty? Is Betty entitled or do you just have an inability to say no? I'm going to go with that one because that's most likely. And Betty might be entitled too. I have no idea. But, <laughs> but all I care about is you, you know. So we buy time and we, get, we say, I'll get back to you by Thursday or whatever the time is. Then when you go back, now, you, now you've created all this expansion internally. Breathe. Go, okay, do I, do I want to do this thing? Check in with yourself. It is not about what the other person wants. It's about what you want. And the thing you want can't just be to avoid conflict for the rest of your life. I mean, it can be. But then what you do is you build a super unsatisfying life. Because by the end of life, you'll be so pissed. I really wish I'd bent over backwards one more time for Bob and accounting is not what you're going to say on your deathbed. You know, it's like, and the biggest tragedy is that people don't know us. If we're saying yes, when we want to say no, this is where we now are giving others corrupted boundary data about us. We're just giving them overall corrupted data. So they believe you. When you say yes to the thing or don't mention that you don't like this kind of food. And then every time you go out, they're suggesting it. And you're like, okay, somehow it, it, it turns into them really thinking that you like whatever the kind of food is. And you don't simply because you think that your preference is a burden. You don't want to be like, we have all of these things that we talk about, like, oh, you know me, easy breezy, no fuss, no muss. It's all good. I'm all like, no, it's not because <laughs> that's not life. That's not, that's not even real. And again, if you're that person, and listen, I'm not saying that you care about everything, right? There are tons of things I don't care about at all. Say to my husband, you could, I don't care. You, you could pick it, whatever the thing is, if it's something I don't care about, but I know the things I do care about, right? So it's not to say you have to have a preference about everything you don't, but I know from being a psychotherapist for 25 years that 99% of the time, when people's mantra in life is, you know me, I'm easy. There's someone who came from some kind of a background that made them be terrified of conflict. And what they really want is to go under the radar and not have any problems with anyone. But you can't be your real self if you're doing that. That is the child you running your adult life. And anyway. It's the long, longest way around the barn to get back to <laughs> saying no. And there's a zillion different ways of just saying, hey, I checked with my person and we're actually have plans that day. I hope you guys have a great time. Yeah. And I think this is a way to circumvent or maybe supersede your neurobiology, because I think that we're just baked in to want to be part of the tribe. I think there's a part of us that's like, oh, if we say no, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be thrown out of the tribe. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be uh, alone and, you know, we're going to have, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're just going to die alone with 400 cats who are going to eat us when we <laughs> die. They're not going to be, you know, so we, we have these, these fears, but to your point around 
showing up and being your true self. I think that that is such an important part of our existence is allowing others because other people will take great joy in seeing who we are and celebrating who we are. There was a story in your book, I'm forgetting the names, but there was um, a husband who just wanted to do things for his wife. Like he wanted to uh, bring her presents or help her to do. And she was always like, no, 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 no. Uh, mm-hmm. might, maybe it was, I think it might've been, and was it your mom? Yeah, it was you. It was you. And so your mom's like, let him do the things that he loves to do. This is, you're denying him the joy of showing up for you in the way that he expresses his love, which is through acts of service, which uh, I thought was so beautiful. So in one way, you know, allowing yourself, allowing you to be seen, heard, and understood. I think this is baseline human desire. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, the people in, you know, the people that matter to you, they're, they're able to celebrate the right people are able to celebrate you for who you are. And then they get to, they get to know that maybe you don't like Japanese. Maybe you don't yep. want sushi every Friday night. You want Italian yep. or you want whatever. Um, so I just, I just love what you're saying because this is, this book essentially is a tool to sort of to overcome that baked in desire to always fit in and never create conflict or, you know, ruffle the feathers, so to speak. Yes. And it also changes our idea of why we tell the truth about our preferences. Think about it as opening the door to deeper intimacy for the people in your life. It's not a burden. Knowing your preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers are the things that make you beautifully and uniquely you. Like, so being easy breezy and having no preference, you are, you are denying the people in your life the opportunity to know you authentically and in a real way. And how can anyone authentically love you if you have not let them authentically know you? Mm. Yeah. You know? Let's talk a little bit about codependency, uh, high functioning codependency, and mm-hmm. um, and then maybe a little bit of, uh, I was talking to you in the pre-chat, definitely want to touch on secondary gain, which I thought was yes. fascinating um, in your book. So let's, let's uh, level up here a moment. Um, let's unpack what a high functioning codependent uh, relationship or person uh, mm-hmm. might look like? What are some of the common behaviors and maybe belief systems of an HFC? All right. Well, let's start with codependency in general. The reason I came up with a new moniker, high-functioning codependency, is because I had all these women in my practice who I would view their behavior, their relational interactions and say, hey, I'm seeing codependency here. And they would be like, what? You're nuts. No way. Everyone depends on me, lady. What are you talking about? Like they did not at all identify with the sort of Melody Beatty, uh, you know, codependent no more identity of codependency. Because back in the day, it was sort of like you have to be involved with an addict. You're enabling someone who has some kind of an addictive thing. And it's the, the image was of like a weak-willed person who was like, even though that's not what Melody was saying, but I just felt like it got this bad rap and it was very associated with addiction. But what I was seeing and what I had experienced in my 20s was without a doubt codependency. So if we just look at codependency in general as being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions and the circumstances of the people in our life, 
to the detriment of our own internal peace or physical, financial, emotional well-being. Okay, does that make sense? Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Now, high-functioning codependency is basically you making it all look easy, right? You're doing those things. You're overly invested. You're still wanting to control what is going on because think about codependency as this. I don't know what you thought of it as before, anybody listening, but it is really at its base. It is a covert or overt bid for control. We don't want our friend marrying that jerk. We don't want our partner making that mistake. So we are working overtime to control, to make suggestions, to send them things. We are the Insta advice givers. We always have a solution for other people. We are the misfixits of the world. Can't stand when anything is not going the way that we think it should be going. And we have ideas and we want to help. And I'm not saying you don't want to help. I did too want to help, right? My heart was in the right place as well. And what you come to realize, what I came to realize in my own young life, and this is what I then started seeing with all my clients, is that I thought I was just being loving. I really did. I was like, I'm just like Mother Teresa like that in my heart, right? Like, I just want to help all the people. And then what really happened through a scenario with one of my sisters, my therapist was like, do you know what's really going on? And my sister was in a bad situation that I had been throwing money at and trying to help and trying to get her to move out from this abusive relationship. And um, I was crying to my therapist saying, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? It's about my sister's life. And she was like, "Uh, well, you know, you really can't. Like, you've done what you can do. And she said, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think you know what she needs to learn in this life? And I was like, well, I mean, I think we can agree it doesn't have to be with this idiot being abusive and doing crack or whatever was going on. And she was like, well, I can't agree with that because I'm not God and I have no idea what your sister needs to learn. But you can't learn it for her. She's like, do you know what's really going on? And I was like, obviously not. So clue me in. And she said, you've worked for 20 years in therapy to create a lot of internal peace. You have a very functional life. I was like, right. And she's like, and your sister's dumpster fire of life, bad choices, addiction, all the things is messing with your peace. What you really want is to help her get it together so you can have some peace. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> shit. Yeah, that yeah. shit is true. Like, mm. wow. Mm. So the high functioning codependent, I thought I was doing it for my sister, quote unquote. And then what I really learned about love is that when I wasn't interacting with her in a codependent way, I realized I respected her right to be sovereign, to be self-directed, to find her own answers. I'm not her. I needed to draw a boundary and say, hey, while you're in this horrendous situation, I can't talk to you so much because it's really too stressful for me, but I love you. And if you ever want to change your situation, I'll always be your person. About nine months later, talked to her only a few times in that nine months. She's like, hello, I'm ready. I was like, hello, I'm getting in my car. And that was many years ago. She got sober. She went back to school, like life changed, you know, but not me inserting myself 
in the middle of her solution, me loving her enough to allow her to come to or not come to her solution because it's her life. That was really hard. I relate so much to what you're talking about more, not from a sister perspective, but from my parent perspective. Cause I think about my children. Like if my son, for example, if he's struggling with, I don't know, he's a math, math, let's say, you know, is it my responsibility to uh, make sure that he gets his assignments in on time? Is it my responsibility to help him, you know, to help him in the capacity that I can, because, you know, I have a, they're in grade six and grade four. They're starting to creep up on my knowledge of math, like starting, to, <laughs> starting to max out on what I know, but is it, you know, um, and you, you go through this sort of checklist, um, with the high functioning, uh, codependent things like, are you covering for others? You know, so in your, in the, the situation you just described, are you sending her money? It's like, Hey, I can help you with the monetary piece. Like you can leave the situation or maybe in my, it's like me staying up to help him finish a project that he's slacked off on. And now, you know, I don't want him to face those consequences of the teacher or bad grade or, or what have you. Yep. So and I, and I love, I love this conversation. So where do we, um, as parents, as mothers, as sisters, as wives, as friends, where do we know when to draw that line to say, okay, I'm going to allow you to make a mistake. And this kind of brings up another point that I wanted to, uh, share with you in that I, I have noticed myself included again, but society at large, we are so petrified of failure. Like it's mm -hmm. the dirty F word. It's worse than the F word. You know, failure mm -hmm. is the F word that we want to right. avoid at all costs. So where do we, you know, in your case, it's like, this is disturbing my peace. I'm here for you. I love you. When you're ready, I'm like, I'm getting in my car. Um, yep. How do we allow others to fail and keep ourselves and to, uh, and to allow them to experience that? Because it's also a really valuable lesson to fail. Yep. Well, part of it is get out of the mindset. Like nobody died. I'm not talking about minor children though. We're going to, we're going to hit that. That's different. Okay. But in general, nobody died and made you God, right? Nobody died and made me God. I, I am not the God of my sister or the boss of my sister. And when you think about how presumptuous it is, like to me, it was such an ego thing that I had to like really be like, wow, I thought I was so nice. <laughs> I didn't realize what was driving my behavior. How presumptuous to think that we know what other adults should do. Right. Like think about it. So how do we let them do what they're going to do in their life if they're a grown up? Is it's not your job to do it now. If I see a friend who's in pain, am I saying we, I never say to someone, hey, I'm concerned, but I respect their right to make their own friggin' decisions. I don't say, well, if she had listened to me, then this wouldn't have happened. Like, which is when you're a codependent, you get so pissed when people don't take your advice that they didn't even friggin' ask you for. But, you know, we get so mad, like, well, I don't know why she didn't just do the thing I told her last time. This wouldn't have happened because it's not your life. And so part of it is believing that they'll figure it out because literally they're the only one who can. 
And I don't mean that it'll work out the way you think it should work out or I think it should work out, right? It's saying, I'm here for you. I love you. I'm concerned. It's okay to say, hey, I have a concern. Can, can I share it with you? But I, I really have boundaries now about this with friends, really respecting and, and asking for their permission to, you know, and most of the time they'll, they'll say yes. And my grown kids, not so much, but, you know, my friends usually want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> so I think that with, so, so that's one thing is realizing how do you do it is realize it's not your job. Like, how do you do it is change your mind, your view of what you're doing when you think. Check in with yourself, right? Check in with your body wisdom. What is going on for you when your friend is making that mistake? Check your level of urgency. That is always an indication to me. When, when you're suddenly panicked that something is happening in your friend's life and your, your level of urgency is like a 10, you know that that's a codependent reaction. So instead of, and little ways that you can shift this, right? So you said, how do we do it? Ask questions. What does your gut say? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? You tell me. Don't tell them. Say, but if you did know, what, what would it be? Which way are you leaning? How do you feel in your body? Like, I know, I, I know you're going to come to the right decision for you. I also say, as my therapist once said to me, but I say this to clients too, like, what makes you think I have your answers? Like, like lovingly, but like, hey, man, this is like a choose your own adventure life. This is your adventure. Let's not be so afraid of failure, quote unquote, right? As you were saying before, for our loved ones, for ourselves, we all have a right to be on this journey and to be self-determined on this journey. So if you are in a loving place, you can say, hey, I want to just give you all the advice in the world right now, but I don't think that that's what is needed. I really want to know what you think. I'm here for you if you want to brainstorm. But stop the auto-advice giving. It's like, it's not as loving as you think. It's really based on you. I'm not saying this to you, Steph. I just mean in general, right? Yes, this is yes. what we're doing to become mm -hmm. boundary bosses is to know what is my side of the street. And my sister's life was her side of the street. And I went over there when she invited me to and helped her get out of that situation. So it isn't like we can't help people, but we can't determine what kind of help they need. And yes. we can't help them if they don't want to be helped. That's, that's just us trying to help us have more inner peace. <laughs> right. It's helping us to sort of acquiesce the nervousness and the, 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 you know, the, the sense of uh, lack of peace, as you mentioned in our own bodies, which is yep. sometimes we see, I mean, again, coming back to parenting, it's this idea of like, stop crying. It's not because you want the kid to stop crying. It's because you feel uncomfortable seeing your child cry. That's yep. what's happening when you're telling them to stop cry, to, yep. to stop crying. And I, and I think that there's also you know, I myself in my own personal life have hit, have hit rock bottom. So in my personal life, in my professional life, um, and there's such power there. Like there's such power in mm -hmm. like having absolutely nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And to deny someone else's experience there, I think is also 
you know, I love what you're saying. Like, what do you think, who do you think it is? Like, why do you think that I have the answers? Like how presumptuous, right? <laughs> right. That I'm this deity that's going to know what the answer is for you. You have, you know, it's like heal thyself. You know yes. what you need. And become a good listener. Mm. Become an expansive listener. I like to say an athletic listener where you're like there for the other person in a real way being interested in what they think, which says to them, it conveys to them, I believe in you. I believe that you're capable of this. And it also gets us away from thinking we're God and that we know what they should do. But let's go quickly. I just wanted to hit the minor kids thing because we were talking about boundaries with kids. Yes, yes. (laughs) That, you know, coming into an already established situation with my husband, he was widowed, had three young teen boys. When I came in, his wife died when they were little kids. So I was coming into like a a system that was, wow, needed, needed a lot of help, definitely needed a maternal figure, but also needed a lot of straightening, you know, sort of. And I was saying like, my husband, I thought was really codependent with the kids, especially with our oldest son and was, you know, just throwing money, right? Feeling guilty about the loss of the mom and, you know, paying for this and paying for that and doing whatever. And I said, listen, here's the thing. What you're saying, when you continue to get him out of a jam, not allow him to experience the consequences of his actions, he feels like a loser right now. And when you bail him out, you're saying, I agree with you. I think you're a loser too. So I'm going to save the day. I'm going to insert myself in the middle of this shitstorm that you created and I'm going to save you. But you're not saving him. I was like, we got to let him fail. We got to let him. There's got to be some ramifications. Let him lose his license. Let him whatever, whatever is happening. This is not working because this also could go on forever. And I'm definitely not dealing with that. But this was when the kid was not a minor. You know, it was already they were already in their early 20s um, or late teens, actually, when this intervention happened. And that was the beginning of this, this kid being able to take responsibility for themselves. So part of it is, we, the, the, it's gotten twisted with parenting today. And we, we think that I love them. I don't want them to experience any pain. I don't want them to fail, right? I'm so, we're so, as you said before, so afraid of failure. But here's the thing. You're not gonna be around forever. What are you going to be walking in front of them, laying down a carpet for them to walk on throughout life? You're not. There will be a point when you are not here and your job as a parent. It's like that, um, that part of the, um, the prophet. Do, do you know the prophet, the, the book? It was literally originally re- written in 1923, I think, and then released in 73. It's so beautiful. I'll actually send you the excerpt. Oh, thank you. That I love so much. And you can put it in the show notes if you want to share. But it's about how... Our, our children are not ours, right? They're, they're the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. We are the bow. They are the arrow. And even though it's sad, it's our job to be like, yes, go do you. Make mistakes. You will. I'm here. Be a soft place for them to land. But they're not a reflection. They're not extensions of us. They're only loaned to us for a period of time. And what a privilege it is to raise children, but to understand we don't own them, but our job is to prepare them for the world. And when you do not let them fail, you are not 
preparing them because the world, there'll be nobody who's doing that for them. So I would say with the math stuff, just my two cents, making sure whatever homework is assigned is done. I think that's a normal thing to do, even in sixth grade. Saying, did you do your homework? I don't know that you got to be like, maybe they don't tell the truth. I don't, you know, maybe they do, but being involved to the degree of like, your homework is on my radar. What you need to do, according to school, because you're in sixth grade, which means you're probably 12, right? 13, 12, 11? Uh, He's almost 11, but he's young. He was born in November. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Right? Like, you're still the parent. And being the parent, I, I think, means we're involved. And you have to always be the parent, even when it sucks. Even when the kid's like, you guys are not cool. You're, you know, they're going to go through the teen years where suddenly our kids were like, you guys are so bougie, calling each other babe all the time. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what that means. This was many years ago. So I was like, okay, fine, great. But we can't need to be friends with our children. Right. That's it. That's it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't. You can mm-hmm. be the the soft place for them to land without fixing things for them. But also when they act up and get mouthy, which they will, because this is, this is the rite of passage. They must separate and individuate and no kid is exempt from this. So parents, let's learn what are the phases of development for children? So instead of thinking that when your kid becomes 16 or 17, that they become a criminal or that they're horrible, realize they're doing what is mandated to them to do, which is to separate and individuate from you. And it is so painful. The only way they'll do it and the only way they can do it is with anger or they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So it's, it's not to characterize personal. you as like the bad parent. Like you yes. don't understand. You're just this yeah. bougie, out of touch, you know. Totally. Yeah. 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 Yes. And you still have to be the parent. They they get yeah. a they cop an attitude and you still have to say, hey, I used to say to the boys, you realize that anything I do for you is a favor, right? Like I don't need to drive you to Billy's. Yeah. So if it's, you want I'm me to drive you to, to Billy's, <laughs> yeah. back it up. Back it up. And use a tone of voice that's appropriate for me. Okay, go. (laughs) Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. But it's not personal. And we need to focus on the kid. That's great. I I love that. Um, You know, I I can't remember who I was talking to. Uh, This might have been just an offline conversation. It was like, raising children is a choice. Like, you don't have to take them to Billy's. You don't have to feed them. They can, you know, I have a, you know, he's going to be 11 soon. Like he makes his own breakfast. Like I don't make uh-huh. him breakfast. He can make eggs yep. and he can make a sandwich for himself in the morning. And, yep. you know, I, I think that, you know, parenting is a choice. We choose, we chose to bring them in here, you know, into the world. And to your point, it is in some ways, uh, especially if we have those codependent, if we grew mm-hmm. up in a very codependent home, we are destined if we don't become awake and aware to repeat those patterns in our own family dynamics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to, uh, to arm them with saying to them, I'm not going to like, no one's here. Like I say this to my audience all the time. No one is coming to save you. Yep. No one. And I, and I yeah. feel like with kids, we can start with saying, what do you really think? Yeah. Like parents, it's so tempting to just constantly tell kids what to do or what they should think. What, what do you think? What do you think is the right thing to do? Your gut is good. I trust your gut. Tell me what you think. Like we want them to be independent, you know? Um, I wanted to tell you, I also have a gift for your people before we go. Oh, yes, please. 
So I have it's it's they can get it at boundaryboss.me forward slash better. And it's a thing on codependency because I feel like this is one of the big takeaways of what we talked about. So it's a video and a whole like integration guide where you can really start to get an idea of where you are, even if you didn't never considered yourself any kind of a codependent before you listened to this podcast. And maybe now you go, oh. Maybe I am a high functioning codependent. So this will (laughs) give you, this will give you um, like the baseline of where you are right now. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I think, you know, just as we're, as we're sort of wrapping our conversation, um, you know, at the top of our conversation, I said, this is one of the most important skills um, that you can have in addition to nutrition and exercise and stress management. This is a crucial piece of stress management for, um, for my women and for the, for the women who listen. So we'll make sure that boundaryboss.me forward slash better is in the show notes. It'll be a clickable link. And we didn't get to, but I think it's still, uh, worth mentioning the scripts that you have. So we talked about, everyone wants a script, but you have scripts and scripts and scripts of how to create a proactive boundary plan. Like the step one, be specific about the boundary, take stock of yourself, visualize the outcome, et cetera. So I think it's anybody who's listening to this, who wants to be a boundary boss, you need to pick up this book. Strongly recommend. Um, where can, so we, I'll, I'll send people to boundaryboss.me forward slash better. If people want to learn more about you and your work, uh, we'll also make sure that that quiz, the boundaryquiz.com uh, is in the show notes as well. But where can people interact with you? Are you, uh, you know, where can people find you on the interweb and, and on all the places? Yeah, well, my website is terrycole.com. Um, if you want to get the book or if you bought the book, but you didn't get the bonuses, you can go to boundarybossbook.com and still collect. I, I just did a ridiculous amount of bonuses because I love people and I want you to have them meditations and all kinds of other things. Um, I hang out mostly on um, Instagram. Is So just at Terry Cole on Instagram. And I have a group for women on Facebook, which is called Real Love Revolution with Terry Cole. That is, it's, it only is for people who identify as women. But I have about 30,000 people in there and we talk about all the things. And then they can check out my podcast at Terry, you know, the, the Terry Cole Show. Wonderful. Well, Terry, it's just been such a lovely time chatting with you. I've enjoyed our time together, your insight, your wisdom, your presence. So thank you very much. I know this is going to be so valuable to my audience. And just as a little, um, little funny little thing in the book, you use the word Betty throughout. And so that's the avatar of my audience. We call them our Bettys. So as you've been saying like, Hey Betty, like what you doing over there? I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's like, she's literally talking to my people. So I just wanted to share that that with you. Well, thank you so much for what you do and thank you for your time i really enjoyed myself we'll have to do it again all right all right i hope you enjoyed today's episode and i must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here this podcast better with dr stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine chiropractic or any other primary healthcare providers advice treatment or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. 
The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary health care provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.